Welcome to the Blend Podcast with Tom and Brendan, discussing all things e-learning, digital marketing, design and entrepreneurship. The podcast is brought to you by Blend Interactive Content. Find us on LinkedIn or www.blend.training. Hi Tom. Hi Brendan, how are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Yeah. Um, we're talking about the digital divide today, aren't we? Yep. Yeah. So, do you want to start? Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess we should start with what that means, what the digital divide is. Yeah. And um, it's basically the difference in access and connectivity people have to the internet and, and other IT devices, you know, such as laptops or, or whatever. Okay. Um, and it's something that's obviously become more of an issue in recent years, accelerated because of COVID. Um, and I think it's quite an interesting topic to talk about because it affects us quite significantly in e-learning and and I think it's just a wider social issue as well that's just that's something that could be cool to talk about today. Yeah, it touches a lot of different areas um, from education through to business, careers. I mean, it's, it's something that affects everybody so it's it's interesting to look at it from lots of different angles. Yeah, and I think there's sort of the main ways that we can sort of categorize how the you know where the digital divide exists is I think age is an obvious one okay because older people in general you know have had less experience with technologies throughout their lives technology's changing very quickly so they need to you know relearn certain pieces of software or or, or things like that so I think age is is one Factor. I think geography, when I was doing my research for this podcast, geography is another one. Urban areas compared to rural areas. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're living in the sticks in the middle of nowhere, mm. you know, connectivity, access to internet, things like that is, is harder to come by. Um, and then I think income is, is another obvious one. Yeah, because the, the thing is, is like being out in the sticks is one thing, but there's definitely an aspect of if you're out in the sticks in a in a luxury area you're still going to get great internet access depends because depends. there's more than it's more than just the location that seems it seems like there's more than just the location in play it's almost like a little Venn diagram of how much wealth you have ties into how much infrastructure you get um i also think it's worth sort of asterixing that access is not the same as connection as well because you can possibly have access to the internet but then maybe the connection is not very good and in effect you're still being hamstrung in that way you know not being yeah. able to do certain tasks or you know connect to certain websites social medias etc etc you can still feel out the loop even if you have access but your connection is really poor yeah so like differentiate between connect being connected and actually having high quality connection Exactly, because exactly. there's a lot of there's a lot of things like this with in terms of uh, ed- education and e-learning and access um, in uh, places like Africa where everyone's got a phone, everyone can get on the internet, but the price of watching a video is like a month's salary because data prices are so high. Yeah, exactly. So it, the definition's important, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because in theory, they have ac- well, in reality, they have access. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean exactly that the digital divide doesn't exist there because just having access doesn't you know like you said it could cost so much to 
yeah. for for data and, and things like this. Yeah, it's, like, it's the same principle. Like you book a book a place on Airbnb and it says it's got Wi-Fi. Just because it's got Wi-Fi doesn't mean you're going to be able to watch Netflix. Mm. It, it could be really, really slow. And I think that's something where people say, well, we've given them access to everything. But actually, it needs to be thought out in terms of, well, actually, how, what is the quality of this access as well? Mm. And I think with with COVID and, and the pandemic, these types of things have, have been pushed to the forefront. And, you know, I think it's pretty accepted that the world is becoming more unequal in general hmm. and the digital divide is just a part of that yeah and it's it's slightly worrying because if people are not digitally literate and they don't have the skills needed for growing industries growing job markets because let's be honest most uh, new jobs that are being created are connected with IT in some way shape or form it's only going to exacerbate the divide itself and the current inequalities we we ha- already have. Yeah, of course. Because I mean, like back in the day, you had you had businesses driving apprenticeships and things like that. And so during what well, before the digital age, you basically taught how to do a job. That job evolved at the speed of the industry, but that was about the same speed as how the education system was updated. Mm. Possibly still a bit slower. <laughs> but the thing is, is that. Now everything because everything's digital, the speed at which the tooth you—it's like you're trying to catch a train while you're on a horse, and it's basically the industry is now moving <clears throat> extremely fast, but education simply can't keep up. So I guess the thing is, it's like rather than saying like how does education keep up more, how can you tie in education to that industry so it's it's on the train already, it's already going at the it's being taught at the <coughs> pace of which needed to, for it to evolve I think my fir- the first thing that comes into my head with that then is there needs to be stronger relationships and bonds between the private sector and schools yeah. and that's not I'm not an advocate of privatising education and I don't think no. business, I don't think there should be a strong corporate influence on curriculum mm. I just mean there should be relationships in terms of access and opportunities within yeah. lessons within schools to to understand how these businesses work maybe opportunities to see how they work learning skills that specifically apply mm. to that business that job rather than a, a disconnect between what you do in school and what you do when you go to work yeah because there's this thing of it, like having access to relevant companies to do your work experience at to discuss and have present how they work so it uh, informs the lessons that they're actually learning and the curriculum that they're doing there was one thing while we were looking into this and doing a bit of research and i saw the thing about the google career certificates so like google launched an it certificate so obviously just like training in their technologies uh, back in 2018 and then in 2020 they uh, announced they were going to be doing career certificates so the idea is is you don't have to go to university you can just do a six-month course and it only costs 300 dollars and it's owned by Google and it's trained you get basically it's like a, a an intense boot camp that trains you how to be a project manager a data analyst or a UX designer and obviously that'll expand over time and then they have you can opt in to be have your information shared with IBM and big other companies uh, that are in this hiring stage well I mean companies like that are always in the hiring stage and so the idea is it, it almost creates a an employment funnel for them 
but then there's like that thing of you saying it's like they then own the entire education process it's a tricky one it's it's not black and white for me this mm. because part of me thinks that's really cool mm. what Google are doing you know they're making education affordable there you, instructional design we see it in instructional design in the e-learning world that no one really cares about formal qualifications yeah you know it's all about your portfolio yeah, what, what skills you've you produced what skills you've got can you use this software you know that that's the reality of the industry mm. so in a way I think this is a good thing this, this is clearly more practical and it's moving away from this sort of outdated traditional education system yeah but then the sort of other part of me yeah I, I am worried because it's it's this monopoly this Google monster that basically just has all out control in the same way you know Amazon are starting to do it with their cloud services and things like that it's just I think there's just all, I always have this worry of when a company gets too big yeah. you know and they just dictate a whole industry so I sort of have conflicting feelings about how involved Google are getting yeah in, in education I always wonder about that like is there would it even be possible to do like the the anti-monopoly stuff and like split up Google into its own components but the thing is there's a there's a core strategy driving that a vision of Google basically wanting to own all information yeah. yeah and so it's that includes how we train how we learn it's just another part of it there's just another bit yeah so it's quite interesting but it's a massive subject that we could almost do three or four episodes on well that's a subject in itself the yeah. control that these tech giants have you know and that's yeah. sort of moving away from the digital divide but it's still still interesting to talk about yeah I mean I, I remember when I was a teacher and I realised I had to be careful when I set homework that needed the internet because it, it genuinely might not be able to be completed by all students mm. and especially if you're working in a, in a school in a more like working class area you know talking about these demographics urban or rural or high income or low income this was genuinely a consideration that had to be made a kid could turn up a few days later and not done their homework I asked them why and they said look I don't have internet at home yeah. and this is something that we assume isn't the case nowadays but it, it really is there's, yeah. still a, there's still a large percentage of the population out there who just don't have access or who have really poor access to yeah. to the internet and that doesn't just apply to like what everyone thinks oh it's a, th- if a third world country won't have great internet access but huge chunks of the UK have as well UK, so Western the Europe, US, US yeah. think about the tasks you do on a typical day and then think about trying to do them without a smartphone yeah. or without internet access the amount we've accepted you know smartphone applications and just the internet in general into our lives mm. imagine te- imagine trying to do, do what we want to do on a day-to-day basis without those things well imagine having to write that many emails by hand in paper and then post them <laughs> so the digital divide is a real thing yeah and of course more and more people having access to, to internet and smartphones etc etc but mm. i think it's something that people don't realise it's as big of an issue as it really is. Yeah, it's one of those things that people overlook when it doesn't affect them directly. Because, yeah, until you've had your, lost your phone and realised you're completely out of contact with everybody, you don't realise how much everything revolves around that. When I was researching this as well, I was thinking to myself, OK, so what, what are solutions then? What yeah. are practical solutions for this? 
and I was thinking, is it is it a government's responsibility to promise access to all its citizens? I don't know what you think about that question. Well, the idea we pay taxes is that a government provides a structure for society. I think the idea of like you you need structure because you're basically provide you you need to give people enough things to survive and thrive and that digital access and infrastructure plays a huge role i mean you can't it it makes it it was the difference between being able to get a job and having money and potentially being completely unemployable and so it becomes a basic right in the same way as you know healthcare or education you would look at it in in that I'd look at it as healthcare, education, water, electricity. Yeah, it should I'd, be categorised in that way. Yeah, when I mean, if you think about how how much of a difference it makes, the point is is that you can you can damage or it, uh, improve someone's life with those basic things, and I think that infrastructure for uh, the internet and things like that is a fundamental bottom. Right. I think I think it's at the bottom of the pyramid, along with the other things. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because we wouldn't have said that, you know, in the past, would we? This is this has joined those basic rights relatively recently in our history. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, that literally, like the last two generations, suddenly it's well, I've, I've not got internet access. It's well, it's, it's especially even things like what type of access you've got in terms of people. Not everyone has access to the same internet, and yeah. you've got like China have their own thing. And is that a right to be able to have access to uh, everyone's then, information? And then exactly, and then this is a worry because even if governments turned around and said, "Okay, this is a basic right, we're going to provide it," oh. then now you have all these censorship issues like you would in a place like China. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's complex. And I mean, something I I uh, came across was um, how powerful internet service providers in different countries are. And I was looking at the US as an example and, you know, certain politicians have have obviously mentioned this idea of internet access should be a basic right, etc, etc. But these big internet service providers are so powerful, they lobby politicians to the extent where local governments are just paralysed from from setting up their own networks. Mm. Because obviously they don't want to compete with with public uh, government run internet connections because that's going to okay. obviously take a chunk out of their profits this is why you know for example in the US it's just it, that movement can't gain any momentum it's a similar argument to why you know the healthcare issue in the US you know these insurance companies are so powerful that it's very difficult to have a public healthcare system set up there and it's a similar sort of thing with with internet access. Well, like you think about how much fuss everyone gets to about Medicaid and Medicare and all that stuff, and when you sit back from it and you go, okay, so you're arguing about supporting people's health and the support those people get. It seems nuts that anyone would not want it, but that's how powerful they are. Is that they can basically say we don't want to compete with this, therefore we will make you argue so you never actually finish it. Mm. And then there's another another thing called digital redlining. Okay, what's that? Where internet these internet service providers have been accused of, of providing better internet to wealthier areas mm-hmm. in certain US cities. Okay. So deliberately maintaining that digital divide. Oh. And this is the same redlining comes from 
uh, a similar uh, concept but with housing in the US a long time ago making sure they kept certain races segregated um, okay. because they wanted to maintain certain social inequalities mm. because they were obviously part of the group who were in control throughout history humans divide and conquer there's that thing of yeah in, a, in a, an ideal world there wouldn't be a digital divide but then we're we're arguing for this like to re- reduce that divide against people that do want people to be segregated do want people to be separated well, that's, it's easier because, to control people in that way yeah 100 i mean like that's what they do with they've done throughout history in everything from apartheid to now doing it now we are getting a bit like mm. black mirror now <laughs> yeah we are right, let's rein it back in yeah like so, so i want to talk about something that's a bit more positive yeah and I wanted to ask you, we've mentioned it a couple of times mm. in previous podcasts, mm. but I think this is a this podcast is perfect to talk about these guys. Yeah. Um, Learn Appeal and how they are trying to narrow the digital divide. We we spoke to Learn Appeal and got really excited about what they were doing and ended up actually sort of working working with them and, and, and finding more about what they do. And they are a, a UK charity. They were set up by a, a board of um, experts in the learning sector. And what they wanted to do was see if they could create something that actually gave more people access to the kind of education and e-learning that they need. And one of the things that when they did their research, like us discovering this thing about the digital divide, was that actually there's a huge portion of the population globally that don't have that infrastructure and so they looked for really smart ways to actually circumvent that restriction of can we get them internet access, um, can we get them high quality internet access. And what they did was they actually built a little device using a Raspberry Pi, which is like an open source um, uh, electronics. It's like this little box, um, it's a bit bigger than a uh, it's basically the size of a thick Kindle. What it does is it generates its own Wi-Fi signal, so you can literally charge it. I mean, you can plug it into a into a solar panel charging station, so it doesn't even need electricity, what well, mains electricity. And then what it does is it generates a Wi-Fi signal in the surrounding area, and uh, over 100 people can log onto it with any Wi-Fi-enabled device and access e-learning. And so this e-learning is built on their bespoke little platform. So they have their own operating system. Yeah, Pi. so this okay. this this Raspberry Pi, um, and the thing, the cool thing is, is because Raspberry Pi is open source, it's evolving as well. So they've actually found that more of of existing e learning software is actually capable of running on this thing. And so what they've done is they've been able to actually get this device, and they've taken it to uh, Kenya and a couple of other places, and they've been able to set it up in the local community, and anyone with a phone with Wi Fi, and they actually provide um, as part of the package. Um, I think it costs a couple of hundred quid for the actual device, but then hundreds of people can use it and they give them uh, a number of devices as well, like a sort of like an Android tablet. Um, one of the the budget ones does fine. And then everyone in the area can access that uh, e-learning. And so they that what they do is they focus on subjects that specifically don't just... The, the device itself bridges that digital divide, but then the e-learning on it then starts bridging the divide for their ability to earn money by actually helping them set up businesses, how to be an entrepreneur, how to um, 
harvest the local environment how to do things like beekeeping and there's like crazy stories that are like amazing where they've had like uh, a beekeeping training and they found that in the local villages they were having an elephant problem because the elephants were basically stomping over to get water from their area and the only way to stop an elephant is to well shoot it and no one wants to do that and they actually found that bees the elephants stay away from bees so what they did was when they they set up a beekeeping um little business and so the the elephants stopped coming into the village in a safe way then then the bonus was they got to set up this little beekeeping business where they make money they make uh from the wax the honey all these kind of things and so they've been able to actually like flip around the situation not just from an environmental perspective but also from a financial perspective for the village and so there's things like this that can be achieved when when you when you get past that first hurdle that barrier to entry of you don't even have good quality internet you can actually you can really make a big difference and so that was really cool and that's that's one way in which people can actually with innovation start doing tangible things that change this um because there was definitely there was an aspect of something i was listening to uh, looking into and i've always been a fan of nintendo and there was a thing you'll see it in a lot of our pieces where we've got a lot of um, gamification and the like, the cute storytelling things that were that are always very popular with Nintendo. And I had a Game Boy, and uh, Ganepi Yokio is the designer for Nintendo, and um, he basically had a principle called it's called lateral thinking with withered technology. And so the idea was was that while all the other computer game companies were building expensive, new, cutting edge technology and not really focusing on the what was important which was the games and the storytelling Nintendo used old technology but in a clever way so they removed the colors from the Game Boy and they used something that was already had been around for a while and they stripped it back so it was super fast and then put really good quality games that were really fun to play on it and that's why it was so popular as opposed to everyone got into camps of I have Sega I have all this stuff and the technology wasn't great yet. It was still being perfected. Whereas the Game Boy was already finished technology, but used in a lateral way. Yeah. And so that's the same with this kind of learn appeal thing. It's like Raspberry Pis have been around for ages. And by combining it with the Wi-Fi aspect and then combining it with existing e-learning, you've suddenly fixed. Yeah, we see this a lot in the industry in general. You know, you don't have to take VR to yeah. Kenya no. you know and, and it's uh, we see it a lot when people are, are creating new pieces of e-learning and training where it's about right we need to just use this new technology and show people we can use this new technology yeah. but to the detriment of the quality of the content itself definitely and I think it's important to understand that we've got lots of technologies out there that already exist let's you know use what's ever most relevant for this for the context yeah, and I think if we maintain that attitude with the digital divide, I think there's going to be more of more effective progress there. Definitely, because I think it's that thing of like let don't get sort of uh, shiny syndrome where you just let, you, you, it's the new thing, so it's the best new thing. Everyone gets obsessed with apps, and actually, there's plenty of good ways to do stuff that already exist. And it's that thing of letting 
letting the message dictate the medium you present yeah, it in. We've, 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 we've said that quote multiple times, I yeah. think, throughout podcasts, and it keeps coming up because it's, because it's true. Well, we keep coming back to it is when we're doing our projects and we're working with clients, asking why they want to do something and what it is specifically they want to do. Not just saying, I, I want some e-learning or I want some VR, go make it. And actually digging into what it is they're trying to achieve. If you're la- if you think laterally about it, there is quite often a simpler solution to it that doesn't require all the bells and whistles, and it just requires a bit more in-depth analysis at the beginning, and a bit of better planning, and then just some good quality design and development. And actually, you can get a much tighter, cleaner, more efficient end solution. Mm. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to talk about with the digital divide, and we've just sort of run through it pretty quickly. But mm. I think it's a decent starting point. I reckon it's something we could come back to in the future to talk about. I mean, no, I know from my side of it, obviously my background in design, there's a lot of this aspect of upskilling. When you become a designer, you learn design at school, but then you are literally a lifelong learner. There's the strategy that you apply to that is really important. It's something that education needs to absorb is that you have to learn the obviously you learn the principles of doing something but if you just keep learning technologies you always have to start from scratch I also think for me something that I think is an interesting side conversation from this Mm. is this idea of wanting the digital divide to not exist because we want equal opportunities for people but then that feeding into us being too are we too connected Anyway, finding that balance between, of course, we want people to be connected so they can go for jobs in the same way everyone else can. They can get the training they require. Yeah. They have as, just as much opportunity and they can uh, do day-to-day tasks they need to do to you know, be part of society. Mm. But then for me, it's almost like if you go too far that way, yeah. are we too connected? Is that something we should be worried about? Should we, well, you know, I mean, this, it's, it's a different conversation. I think it's something yeah. I'd like to talk about another time. But anyway, yeah, maybe yeah. that's for another day. That yeah. One. Yeah. Pleasure as always. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I think we can definitely dip in and out of some of these things we've just yeah. talked about. Okay. Nice one. Ah, right. Catch you soon. Thanks for listening to The Blend Podcast. It's available on Spotify, Google, and Apple. You can find Blend Interactive content on LinkedIn or www.blend.training. Don't forget to like and subscribe. See you next time.